morning, church. Um, I'm excited this morning because we're going to be starting a, a brand new series, and it's called The Hinge. Um, Ryan's already talked about it a little bit. Um, so, and I'm, I'm aware if, if that's something that matters to you, I'm aware that this is Palm Sunday. And I'm aware that typically there's, there are some things and some traditions that we follow on Palm Sunday. There are some scriptures that we read. I just want you to know we're not going to do that this morning. But when we gather this evening, that that's going to be part of the message. Those are the passages that we're going to use. And that this our gathering this evening, our worship gathering out in the garden, um, sweets and singing, all of that stuff, that's going to be geared more towards Palm Sunday than our time here this morning. Because this morning what I want to do is I want to start a sermon series called The Hinge and really... This has been something that I've kind of set up in September. Like, everything else that we've done till September, I want to get to this series here at Easter time. So I, this is like, I don't plan out everything, but this is one thing that I was like, yeah, we got to get there at Easter time. Because there's a conversation that I want to have next week, which is, what's the one way to disprove Christianity? There actually is, the Bible says that there's one thing that if it is not true, then Christians are the most, like the text actually says, the most to be pitied. That if, if this is not true, then, then the whole thing falls apart. We're wasting our time here this morning. We're wasting our time reading the Bible. We're wasting our time trying to get along with each other. We're wasting our time giving our service hours or volunteering. We're just, just wasting all of our time and people should feel sorry for us. And there are some people, and there might be your neighbors, who would just say, yeah, I do feel sorry for you. You are wasting your time. And so there is a hinge point. There is one thing on which the whole bit of it turns. It's the hinge that all of Scripture hangs on. It's the hinge on which all of our faith hangs on. And I wanted to talk about that at Easter time next week. But before we do that, there should be another question that raises in your mind. The one way to disprove Christianity what is Christianity? <laughs> and maybe, maybe it didn't occur to you to think about that because we kind of already feel like we already know what Christianity is. We grew up with, with Christian parents or we grew up, um, we had our grandparents were Christians and we live in a Christian nation. Like we, we, we say the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God. Like, you know, that's got to be Christian, right? And, and maybe, maybe we haven't thought seriously about what it is that Christianity is. But you'll find that there are people, your neighbors, uh, your coworkers, maybe even some of your family members, who have different opinions about what Christianity is. They say, well, Christianity is, is one, either it's a waste of time, or two, it's evil. Like, it, it causes wars, and people like, feel guilty, and, they, and, and the preachers are just out to get all your money, and it's just like another, it's another power thing. Like, it's, it's a place where white dudes go to set themselves up to be in positions of authority so that they can get everything in the world and take over and, and rule it. Is that what Christianity is? <clears throat> is Christianity, like, God's, God wrote the Constitution and made up our country, and now, like, our forefathers set it up so that we should be a Christian nation, and that if I'm going to be an American, I better be a Christian. And it's kind of this, this civic thing where... We, we, where we get, when we get together, I did a, a race this weekend and, and everybody stopped and it was a whole group of people, like, I don't know, 200 people. They, they started playing this song and everybody immediately was silent and put their hands over their hearts because they're playing the Star Spangled Banner. And, and, you know, 
I don't know most of these people, but I saw something that I thought was absolutely fascinating. Was There's an older guy kind of off to the side, and I don't know if this dude was related. I'm assuming that they were. But there was an older guy over here, and there was a younger guy over there, and the younger guy had a hat on, and that song started playing. And I'll tell you what, that old guy like reached across and boom, slammed it on. He's like, no, we're not going to do it. Like, you're going to take your hat off. You're going to show respect. Like, is Christianity that kind of thing where, like, we're all Christians because we're in this Christian nation. You better take your hat off when we sing Amazing Grace. Like, is that what it is? Or is Christianity just like, how I feel with God. I ran into somebody this week who just said like, well, I, I believe that I can talk to God and like I don't have to go to church in order to be a Christian. I don't have to go to church to be right with God. And so I just, I pray, me and God, we talk and, and we've got a relationship and, and it's just like me and, 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 and me and God and we're tight. Um, but I can't tell you how that, that changes my decision making. I can't tell you how that changes my moral decision making. Um, and my life doesn't look any different from my neighbor who doesn't believe in God, doesn't talk to God, has the same anxiety and the same stress as everybody else around them. Is that what Christianity is? Or is it something different? My sister, spoiler alert, I think it's something different. And I'm inclined, I don't know about you, but I'm inclined to look to God to answer the question for me. And so if God has said something ahead of time, I want to read it and see what it is that he says. So this morning we're going to define what Christianity is by looking together in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. So if you'd open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to be in verse 1. If you're using a story Bible, you'd like to read along, it's on page 796. 796, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read it together. It's going to be helpful for you to have it in front of you. So as you guys are getting there and we're getting ready to read, let's, let's go to God in, in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken. We thank you that you have communicated to us in ways that we can understand. You are God. You are infinite creator of the universe. Um, your mind and your thoughts are not like us, and yet you have simplified them in such a way that we might understand them and understand how it is that you've worked in the world, and understand how it is that you want to change our hearts. Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us to lay aside previous understandings, our cultural baggage, the, some of the things that um, are secondary, and Lord, we might just listen to you and what it is that you have said. And Father, that our hearts would be moved by your spirit, that your word is true, and we might turn to you and trust. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time. Lord, we thank you for this time that we can read it together. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to do something different. If, if you've been coming for a couple of weeks, I'm going to do something different than what has been my pattern. Usually I read a couple of verses, and then I stop and talk about the couple of verses that I read, and then I read a couple more verses. I'm going to read the whole thing. Verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to make some observations as we go along. So you're going to have to pay attention. We're going to read it all together. It's a little bit larger block than we're comfortable with, but you guys can do this. You're going to be great. We ready? All right, if we're not, if we're not ready, like I can hold off for a minute. You need to, you know, shake or something. Some jumping jacks? 
All right, we're ready? Okay, here we go. You guys think I'm kidding. First <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 15. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. So, what is Christianity? Christianity is the belief in, in good news. The word gospel is, is, is a Greek word-ish for good news. That's what it means. If, if, if you are hearing a gospel, you are hearing something that is good news. And actually, this is really, really interesting. The gospel, a gospel was preached pretty regularly to these people. See, emperors would go off to war, and they would go out and they would fight battles, um, and we're talking Roman times, so they'd go off and beat some barbarians in Germany or something like that, and they would come back, and as they'd come back, they'd come back in a parade, and they'd want everybody to know, because this was before the internet, you actually had to talk to people face to face, um, they wanted people to know what had happened, and so they would come in and they'd blow a trumpet and they'd say, I'm here to announce the good news. This Roman army has now defeated this barbarian army, and you have no longer to fear those barbarians because we've conquered them. And so they'd start this parade by declaring the good news. Like, somebody shows up with a parade, and we, I mean, the way that we do parades is we've got one every year. Like, there's the Christmas parade, and when it shows up, everybody knows it's there. Because there's signs out that say, Christmas parade, like, three weeks in advance, and people are putting chairs out for, like, a month in advance. I don't understand. <clears throat> But for them, they didn't have like regular things and, and time worked a little bit differently for people who didn't have watches. And so they would have a parade come through and you'd have to be informed of what the parade was about. You needed to know. And so there would be a herald, there would be somebody who'd come in and say, good news, guys. We beat the barbarians. They're not going to come and invade us. This is good news. This is a, a, a gospel. I've come to declare it to you. And so Paul says, now I would remind you, this is a reminder, this is something that the people he's already taught and known. He, remember, he started this church. And so he says, I'm going to remind you of something that we started with from the very beginning, the very first thing I, I told you, of the gospel. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news that I preached to you, which you received. You believed me when I told you that the good news was true, and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached you, unless you believed in vain. See, the gospel is good news concerning a historical event with eternal repercussions. The gospel, the good news, is good news about a historical event. A victory has been won. An army has defeated another army. 
And we're actually going to parade in some of the defeated. Like they're going to come in and they're going to be in chains. And you're going to get to boo them because they lost. But your, your army, your victor is going to come through and he's cleaned up. He doesn't have the mud from the battle. Like he's washed up. His horse is clean. And they're going to walk through and you get to like shout like, yay, praise, like awesome. You beat the bad guys and there's the bad guys and boo, bad guys are bad. Like we're going to do a parade here. And so I want you to understand this is the good news that I'm proclaiming, that a battle has fought, has been fought, and a battle has been won. It is a historical event. It happened in history. And it has eternal repercussions. What is the, what is the historical event? Verse 3, I delivered you that as of first importance what I also received. That's how I know that this is the first thing that he started when he started the church. It was first importance. This is the first thing I came to tell you that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to all of these other people. The battle that was won was won at the cross. There was a guy, flesh and blood, who was named Jesus of Nazareth. And whether you knew him or not, like what happened was he was arrested, and he was tortured, and he was crucified. And the Romans were doing it kind of to placate the Jews. And the Jews had asked for it because this guy claimed that he was God. And the Romans didn't get it. And the Jews didn't understand the truth or the impact of what Jesus was saying. But the fact of the matter is that he died. He was crucified. And that historical event changed all of history following the fact that we even consider ourselves to be a Christian nation or to have a nation that has Christian heritage and all of the things that have gone along with that, like this event changed history. And it has eternal ramifications. Go back to verses 1 and 2. I want to remind you, brothers, of the good news, the gospel I preached to you, which, which you received and by which you are being saved by which you are being saved. Our big idea this morning is that the good news is that God is saving us through Jesus. So, for you, understanding that this is a historical event that has eternal ramifications for you, by which you are being saved. See, there's, there's a, a, a rub in there a little bit. In that we were separated from God and we didn't know it. We were born, and we ended up like living our life, and we were separated from God and had no idea. We thought I could just talk to God, and God would hear me, and he'd either fix my problems or he wouldn't, and sometimes I'd be mad at him, and sometimes I'd be thankful for him, but like, eh, just like, you know, my friend down the street. Like, sometimes I'm mad at him, sometimes he's okay, like, whatever, we just talk. But we didn't know that there was a barrier there. And then when Jesus came, he broke down that dividing line, and he made it possible for us to have a communion with God. The good news is that the battle for our sin, the battle for our death, has already been won. And so the gospel, the good news, is just proclaiming it. Walking into town with a trumpet, saying, hey, good news, like the, that, that barbarian, that death, that shame, that sin, all of those things that you've been carrying, all of those things that have been defeating you for all of your life, all those addictions, those things have all... Ooh, that's a lot of clicking. Wow. Spiritual warfare right here. 
All of the things, all of the death, all of the sin, all of the addiction, all of the things that have kept you separated from God have been defeated once and for all in this historical event which Jesus took all of it upon himself. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the good news. And there are eternal repercussions for the good news. Because there's a fine line here. <laughs> and I don't know how to articulate it as clearly and precisely as I want to. So I'm going to ask you to, to be patient with me. I'm going to try to not say so many words, but hopefully you get what I'm trying to say. <clears throat> if we comb through libraries and we do all of our research into this historical thing, we will see that Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, these things can be verified by historical accounts other than the Bible. There are, there are, other, there are other historians who've wrote, written about this who, who say that this event, this historical event, is true. And there's another digression that I could go in that says, like, really, what's in the Bible, as far as historical documents go, is like, you just because uh, it's, it's the best historical document, as far as historical documents go. And all I'll say is this, is that usually historical documents write and record events that happen hundreds of years after the fact. And the Bible is a historical document that records historical events like 30 years after the fact. So as far as historical documents go, our, the reliability of what we have in the Scripture is, is as trustworthy as historical documents could possibly be. And if it was any other book other than the Bible, historians would say, yeah, of course that's true. And if it was any other miracle other than the resurrection of Jesus, then historians would say, yeah, of course that's true. But because it's miraculous and because it has eternal impact, they're like, I don't know, maybe we can't really trust these documents. So here's the thing. There's, there's, there's people, your neighbors, and maybe even you, who would say, I believe in the historical fact that Jesus died, he rose again, and that all of that meant that he would forgive sin. I believe that. And here, here's the fine line. I believe that that is true, and I believe that he forgave my sin. There's something in our heads that can say, I believe that Jesus is powerful enough to forgive all the sin in the world. That he's, that he's powerful enough to take all of, the, all of God's wrath upon himself for all the sin in the world, but not my sin. Like, I know what I did. I know the kind of person that I am or the kind of person that I have been. And like, Jesus died for sin, but I don't know that he died for mine. So this is a historical event that has eternal repercussions for us individually. Because not only did Jesus die for all sin, absolutely, the only way that sin is ever forgiven is through Jesus. Like, we have to say, yeah, I put my trust in that for me. And if it feels like I'm trying to split hairs here, it's because I am. Because I feel like that hair makes all of the difference. 
Because I've sat across the table, I've had somebody in my living room before who said, yeah, absolutely, Jesus died to forgive sin. And I asked them point blank, I said, how do you know that Jesus forgave your sin? And they said, well, I don't know, maybe he will. Well, how do you know whether he will or he won't? And they're like, I don't know, it's not a guarantee. And I'm like, that's not good news. If the good news is that the battle has been fought and the battle has been won, then we can have confidence that there is no longer an enemy to fight. We can be confident that I don't have to go to war against the barbarians because the army, who is stronger and more powerful than me, who is able to deliver me, already did. That's the good news. The good news isn't that the battle's been won and like maybe the, and maybe the uh, winning army won't like let the bad guys go to my house and burn my house down. Like, no, it's that the battle is won and it's all done. And so we personally, individually can have confidence that Jesus has died to forgive in the sin of the world. He's died to forgive our sin personally. And that's everything. So our first question is, have you begun to trust Jesus for salvation? Have you taken that hairline decision of, I believe that Jesus happened and that he forgave all the sin of the world and, and made us, I believe that Jesus has forgiven my sin that Jesus is the way that I can be right with God. That Jesus, knowing all the sin that I would ever do, would still die for me. And I want to trust that. Have you begun to trust Jesus for salvation? Because the good news is that God is saving us through Jesus. There are a few more observations that I want to make. The next one is this. Did you notice in verse 3, there's something that's repeated here. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. I'm not making this up. I got it from something else. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then the twelve, and he appeared to all these other people. Like, what's repeated there? In accordance with the scriptures. See, the good news, did I do it again? The good news is, it comes to us individually, but it comes to us with a heritage. I've, I've highlighted before the fact that the, the New Testament scriptures that we have or the, the scriptures that we have that are purely and solely Christian, percentage-wise, are really small. And the most of what we have is actually Hebrew scriptures or, people about Jew, or stories about people of Jewish descent. And our heritage is in accordance with the scriptures. That, that God was telling a story before he started it with Jesus. If you go back into Kid Nation and you look at that wall, it's a road. And it kind of goes around like this. I guess to the end, beginning to end. It's one road. There's not a, 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 a roadblock in the middle of it. 
There's not like a, a security checkpoint in the middle, like now leave an Old Testament going into the New Testament. Like it's, it's, it's all one story. So our heritage is from the Hebrew Scriptures. And I only point that out because I've, I know that there's, there are things that are coming up right now where people are really wanting to hammer on, like, Christianity doesn't need the, the, what they would call the Old Testament. Christianity doesn't need the Hebrew Scriptures. And I would just say, like, if, they, if Christianity doesn't need the Hebrew Scriptures, then why did Jesus care so much about them? And why is it important that what he accomplished was in accordance with the Hebrew Scriptures? Because we read Isaiah 53 this morning. And Ryan already told you that that was written down 700 years before Jesus showed up. And we can't help but read that and go, oh my gosh, like they're describing the crucifixion. And I don't know what Isaiah was thinking when he read it, because he, he, or when he wrote it, excuse me. I don't know what Isaiah was thinking when he wrote it, because he wrote it in the past tense as if it had already been completed. But it was 700 years before Jesus showed up. And he was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. God is doing something in history that's in accordance with the scriptures. And the Bible's only telling one story. And so that means there's a lot more for us to deal with. But are we a student of what God has already said? There's a thing, I don't know if you've ever met children like this. It happens with children, it happens with coworkers sometimes. Uh, it happens sometimes with, uh, with people that you're working with, um, group projects at school, where you tell them, hey, this is what I want you to do. Da, 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 da. You do that, I'll do this. Okay. And then they go back. And they do something different. And they come back to you and say, look, this is what I did. It's like, that's not what I told you to do. Like, well, yeah, but this is what I did. I worked really hard on it. I was sincere. It's like, right, but, but those were not my instructions to you. I instructed you to X, Y, Z. Yeah, but I did Z, F, G. Why? That's what I felt like I needed to do. But I told you to do this other thing. It's like, well, yeah, but that was hard. And this was the part that I wanted to do. You'll have this conversation over and over in your life. And the thing is, is I don't want for us, Grace, I don't want for us to have that conversation with God. Where God says, hey, look, X, Y, Z. And we're like, yeah, but I don't know. There's these other things going on right now, God. And he's like, yeah, but X, Y, Z, like this. It's like, well, I kind of feel differently about that this week, God. Like, look, if God has already said it, then we should care enough to listen to what it is that he has said so that we can follow it. So are we students of the scriptures? Because it drives me nuts when people are like, I just don't know what God, I, God just won't speak into my life. I don't hear, like I don't know what he wants me to do for this and this and this. And I'm like, well, have you read this and these things here? Like these things actually answer your question. And God already said it and he already wrote it down and it's already translated into a language that you can understand. Did you read that? Well, no. But I, I want God to just speak to me. He's already said it. Why do you need special instructions? I don't know. And oftentimes, if you're familiar with his instructions, he will remind you of things he's already said. 
And I think it's fascinating that that's what Paul's doing here. He says, let me remind you. And Peter writes it in, in, in one of his two letters. He says, it's, it, I need to remind you of this. It's something that you already know, but I just want to bring it back up again. And realistically, oftentimes the things that we learn in church are things we're just being reminded of. And I find in my relationship with God, there are times where I come to God and I'm like, would you just help me to understand this and this? And he's like, I already told you, you already know. And there's something in a reminder that brings us closer into, into intimacy. Because it gives me a lot of confidence to know like when I come to God and I'm freaking out because it doesn't look like it's supposed to look in my head, he says, I already, I already talked to you about this. Like, let me just remind you of what I've already said. That gives me confidence in him. So are we a student of what God has already said? Are we a student of the scriptures? Because the good news is that God is saving us through Jesus. And there's one more observation I'd like to make. He talks about all the people that he appeared to, and we're actually going to talk about that next week. Why that's significant, we'll talk about it next week. But in verse 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary... I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. And so here Paul just pulls it back a little bit. He says, look, Jesus has done a work in history. And I'm a guy that shouldn't be here. I'm a guy that when... I, I was a Jew and I knew the scriptures. I was a student of the scriptures and I knew how God was supposed to work. And when the Messiah showed up, I said, there's no way that that's Messiah because he doesn't meet my expectations and everybody who follows him is wrong. And so I'm going to persecute them. I'm going to get an order from the temple to go around and kill them. If they want to be like Jesus and Jesus was crucified, I can make arrangements to make that happen. And Paul is the guy who went around at the beginning of the church and just had people killed for believing in Jesus as Messiah. That was his story. To such the degree that when Jesus physically met him on a road and said, why are you persecuting me? And he came, came to grips with what was going on. And his heart was changed. And he turned and he trusted Jesus that nobody trusted him. They're like, hey, uh, Paul met Jesus on the road here uh, he says he wants to be in our gang now. He, he has an order to kill us. Like, he has legal authority to have us arrested and, and, and murdered. You want me to invite him into my house because he had a conversion experience on the way here? I'm going to need some proof for that. And it took him a while. It took, it took the Spirit of God sending an angel to tell somebody, hey, I know, I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I know it's kind of scary to trust this guy, but I actually did meet him and his heart actually has changed and you can bring him into your house and take care of him. I need, I need you. Hey, hey, stop arguing with me. Go pick him up off the road and bring him inside. Like, that's Paul's story. 
And so the guy who was doing everything he could to stamp out people who wanted to trust in Jesus turns and says, I was wrong. And so maybe I made my fine line a little bit too early. Because here we say, see that forgiveness is not according to the good things that you've done. As far as God is concerned, like up until the point that, that Paul trusted Jesus, all he had done was absolutely in contrary to what God wanted him to do. God didn't want him to kill his people, and that's what he was doing. And Paul wasn't like trying to be a nice guy. He wasn't trying to be, I mean, he was trying to be a good person. But he wasn't. He was angry. He was hostile. And yet God came to that person and said, what you're doing, you're doing against me. And what I need you to understand is that I forgive you regardless of your work against me. See, Paul gives a testimony. He's the guy killing Christians. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He calls it grace. And his grace toward me was not in vain. The kindness that God showed to me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. So I'm changed. And I work hard because I want to prove that I'm changed. But it's not just me working hard. It's the grace of God working in me. And I don't know how to define that. Like, do I, am I working because I want to earn my salvation? Or am I working because I'm thankful that God's already given it so freely? And so you look at me. I'm sweating, sweating bullets. I'm out here planting churches. I'm out here sharing the good news. I'm out here writing hard letters to people that are living in sin. I'm doing the work. I'm working harder than every other apostle that's out there. But it's not me. It's the grace of God in me. And I didn't deserve to be here. I was at the end of that list for people that needed to be picked to be church leaders. I was the last person who deserved it. And yet it came to me. And it didn't come in vain. We began this morning reading out of Mark chapter 5. There's a, a guy that's possessed by demons. And... He's so out of control that they got to chain him up. And he breaks the chains and they can't get close to him. And he's just tormented. And Jesus shows up, he says, starts to rebuke the demons. And pay attention. Go back and read Mark 5 this week. The demon says, what do you have to do with us, O son of God? See, the demon knows who he is. The demon knows what he's come to do. He knows that this is a historical fact, but I can guarantee you that that demon didn't turn and repent. That demon wasn't saved. In fact, the demon was cast out and went into a bunch of pigs, and they all died, and it caused a big hubbub. Really interesting story, but I'm fascinated by, by the fact that demons know the truth about who Jesus is, and it's not enough to save them. Paul knew who Jesus was claiming to be and rejected it. It's not about what you know about God. It's not about what you know about Jesus. It's not just that I believe in God and I'm trying to be a good person. It's 
I, there's no way I could earn my salvation, and I trust Jesus to do it. And I don't get all the ins and outs of how it works, but all I know for sure is that Jesus is doing it. The good news is that Jesus is doing it. The good news is that God is saving us through Jesus. So are we still striving to earn God's forgiveness? Even, even, even with the sins that we've done after we've come to a knowledge of him? Because I feel like sometimes, sometimes we'll say, okay, well, God has forgiven me for all the sins that I did before I became a Christian. But like now that I'm a Christian and I keep sinning, like he hasn't forgiven me for those yet. Like when did he die? He died, he died before you had done any of the sins. And he says, I paid for them all. We say, yeah, but not the ones I haven't done yet. He's like, no, 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 I paid for those too. Like it's already paid for. It's not about what you know, it's about what you trust. It's not about having the right answers. It's about making that personal decision to trust him to forgive it all. Because the good news is that God is saving us through Jesus. So, have you begun to trust Jesus for salvation? And usually beginning, that beginning stage is, there's an attraction, like I'm listening, I think I know what's going on. Like, there's something in there that I want. I'm not sure. I don't know if I can, I can trust it yet. And maybe I can trust Jesus, but I certainly can't trust those Christians because they are all jacked up. Have you begun to trust Jesus for salvation? And if you've begun, like, then let's take the next step with that. Let's trust him a little bit more this morning. Let's say, yes, like, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to make a statement like, yes, I trust in you to forgive it all. Are we a student of what God has already said? If we want God to speak into our lives, the odds are that he's probably already said something that's relevant. We value divine wisdom here. It's the scriptures and is understanding the scriptures in a way that applies to our lives. Are we a student of what God has already said? Are you still striving to earn God's forgiveness? It's not because you did the right things or didn't do the wrong things. Not because of who your friends were. But it's simply because of his grace. He says, you don't deserve this. You're the last person who could ever earn this. Yet I give it to you freely. So what is Christianity? It's announcing a good news. It's a good news that each of us individually has a part in when we choose to trust him.